Hello, and welcome back to Crank Kick Commentaries. As always, I am your host, Jake Delmastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Hello. How's it going? Not too bad. Today we follow up and uh, finish talking about the uh, critically acclaimed uh, Iraq War thriller, The Hurt Locker. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you knew this, but it's actually been turned recently into a, a television show to like like a, like a sequel television show. Oh really? Yeah, on uh, on uh, Disney Plus. It's called I think it's called Hawkeye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Hurt Locker. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about today. We 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 kind of did the preamble uh, last week. I almost said yesterday, but it wasn't yesterday. It was in fact a whole, a whole week, week ago. ago. Yeah. So what did we talk about last week? talked about uh the cinematography we talked about kind of mark bull's like uh idea to make this movie and his time in iraq yeah that sort of thing and we talked about star trek and stuff well of course as we, as, as we are prone to do <laughs> prone to do indeed it's not like we plan it we just completely stumble into it every no, time it's totally natural it's not like we have <laughs> you know it on the soundboard a theme for it or anything it was just incidental. No, no, you always edit that in afterwards. Yeah, it's just because of the incidental. Yeah, just because it just came up, you know, exactly. Yep. Um, so this week, we're going to talk more about the production of the uh, of the Hurt Locker. And that's going to kind of encompass a lot of stuff. So it's going to be most of our uh, most of our episode this week. Um, because it was kind of a complicated film to make, as you as you might have been able to imagine from watching it. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about some of the complications uh, with editing and uh, and such last week as well. Yeah, exactly. We got into with the the how how they shot it. Yeah. So we we kind of talked about Catherine Bigelow a little bit last week and her career, not really in depth or anything, but mostly just that she kind of had a sparse career leading up to this. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, she was, like, she had a bunch of movies basically all in a row, and then kind of, kind of, her career kind of petered out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she sort of had this, like, style of filmmaking that uh, uh, was discussed in this article for, I was reading from uh, the DGA Quarterly, and it was, it talked about the style of filmmaking that she developed that started with the film Near Dark. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's from 1987. I have not. I mean, honestly, the actually the only two Catherine Bigelow movies I've seen are this movie Point and Break. Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but apparently, apparently, starting with this film, she didn't want to use she used the word static cameras. Um, yeah, I would not call the cameras in this film. Yeah, static. exactly. They move around. Yeah, a lot. she didn't want to use those, so she ended up shooting most of the film that film near dark with handhelds, um, and then she they. She referred to this style as sort of like a kinetic style of filmmaking. And that, as we were talked about last week, the last film she made before uh, The Hurt Locker was a film called K-19, The Widowmaker, which I think I forgot to look into. But I remember last week we both agreed it didn't look very good. But Right, yeah. I mean, I didn't really check it out that much. But Point being, um, it's set... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Uh, with that, like, it's a submarine film, so it's like you kind of have, you kind of almost have to do handheld cameras, like. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, like just 
because you you don't really have an option. Yeah, it's such a tight space, really. Exactly. I've seen people use like Steadicam rigs inside like really small spaces, and it always looks like a fucking hassle. Yeah, like using any sort of anything with rig in it in a small space. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be a hassle. So in the kind of in the uh, intervening years. Uh, she had done a lot of work on uh, TV, mm-hmm. about which she said... She said, uh, my TV work, especially Homicide, completely broke my fear of schedule. You're doing 10, 13, 10, 12, 13 pages a day with this much time, and there's no latitude whatsoever. Up until that point, I was always anxious about making sure that I had enough time and resources for my work. After that, nothing seemed as important as story or character. And everything else became just a mechanical procedure. It's kind of interesting. She like basically yeah, was like, I mean, I always, I think that that's generally like the experience of like television. <laughs> like, um, it's all just like a, an epic time crunch. Yeah, like it's like I mean, it's probably way easier now because now they're doing like you know ten episodes a season. But I mean, like you know, back when it was like, I mean, I, I I've looked into like a lot of the production behind like Star Trek or whatever, and it's like, yeah, no. It's like they were doing like 22 episodes every season and it was like friggin they were just fucking shooting like crazy. Yeah, you know and I mean? like writing like crazy and like just everything like crazy. Yeah, exactly. So so basically at this point she's kind of ready to get back into filmmaking as we discussed last week she had already she'd been discussed uh, like talking to Mark Bull about is like as early as what 2004 yeah about the story he was working exactly. on and uh, she'd already done another adapted uh, another work of work his, his right? yeah for tv mm-hmm. and she said uh uh about like this about the hurt locker but this was kind of from the area like she was starting to, to to make this film she said ordinary life doesn't interest me as much i'm interested in extraordinary situations in heightened reality I mean, yeah, I mean, that 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 should be clear, I guess, if you look at her, like, filmography. If you just look at <laughs> like Point everything. Break and Hurt Locker, even, that should be clear. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. It's, uh, extraordinary situations, indeed. Yeah. We, we we talked about the Mark Bowles experience embedded last week, um, but we missed it. I missed a great quote from him about this movie. Yeah, so this, this, was, this was cool. So, uh... And I think that this kind of this is what one of the things that makes this movie so interesting is that like uh, like as Mark Bull says, if you look at the history of war movies, with the exception of a couple movies during World War Two that were more like propaganda, swashbuckling, jingoistic stuff, war most war movies don't come out until after the war is over. It's really exciting for me, coming out of the world of journalism, to have a movie about a conflict come out while the movie is while the conflict is still going on. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't really think about that while I was watching it. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, and the interesting thing is, like, this, when this movie is set is in, like, 2004, right? Yeah. And it's, like, the situation between when this movie's set and then when it came out is, like, not that different, you know no, what I mean? No, exactly, which is... So it, it, it's interesting in the sense that, like, it was very... uh prescient you know what i mean in a way that most war movies kind of aren't really yeah and can't well i mean for the most part like i mean it's kind of hard to do that you know what i mean she was emailing with mark bull she was doing storyboard sketches which she which we mentioned um about the storyboard uh, uh, uh sketches she said they're the first visual draft uh used to shape the visual grammar of the movie 
but they weren't apparently like she wasn't very tied to the storyboard like once she was making the movie it seems it was more about yeah no like the sense i got was that making this movie was a very sort of like fluid yeah. thing you know what yeah I mean? exactly i mean i got that sense as well and i think so it's like they kind of didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out until they were doing it you know exactly I, mean? I think the storyboard was used more of like a vibe check kind of thing you know like figuring out mm. like yeah I mean, that's one thing I will say about this movie is that a lot of it is literally just a vibe. You know what I mean? That's kind of the most important thing for this movie is getting that right. Absolutely, 100%. This movie's like 70 to 95% vibe. (laughs) That's how you get away with a a lead actor with less than, uh, you know, less than, I'm going to say, Oscar-worthy talent. Yeah, speaking of that that lead actor, uh, I thought this was an interesting point. Uh, was that we were kind of saying how like Jeremy Renner's character was like you know kind of a nutcase yeah <laughs> and I find it <laughs> really funny that the reason why he got cast in that role is because of a movie where he played Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> I don't know why but I feel like Jeffrey Dahmer's come up several times over this podcast well at least one time on this yeah, podcast yeah, I guess. that was about the Exorcist 3 right 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 but yeah yeah um, so he played a critically acclaimed while also Well his role his role was acclaimed, but the movie was not from no, what the I movie understand. was low budget, fairly unsuccessful film, but from what critics yeah. that saw it, they said he did a good job yeah. as Jeffrey Dahmer, so I don't yeah. know if that's really a compliment. I mean it seems like kind of an odd idea that you know, <laughs> I don't know why you think this movie is going to be successful. Yeah, like <laughs> just a movie about Jeffrey Dahmer. Like I don't know if anybody actually really wants to watch that. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer is a fucking murderer who ate people, so you know it's kind of hard to make him the protagonist yeah. of the film. Yeah, I mean, once again, I don't, re- I haven't really seen this movie, so I don't really know what it actually did. But apparently, I mean, it's Wikipedia page. And it sounds like it's just about. It's just about Jeffrey Dahmer, and it tries to make him sympathetic. Right. <laughs> does does uh, Jeremy Renner eat anybody? I think he does. I think well, because Jeffrey Dahmer ate people, and he tried to make you know the, he tried to make zombies where he like he drilled holes in people's head and like poured cleaning fluid into it. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, part of the. It's that's pretty part messed of the movie. up. We should probably not dwell on this more than we no, need to. No, well, we might do that movie one day. So you know, we want to save that for, <laughs> save it for then. Yeah. Um. So back to the casting. Yeah, yeah. The reason that 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 they kind of wanted to cast on lesser known people, like as we mentioned last week as well, but was also it was because of the the as, uh, Catherine Bigelow described it, the unpredictability of of the feel of you know unknown actors yeah no i kind of get that because it's like you know you kind of expect like you know i don't know if one of the guys is like brad pitt or whatever like you wouldn't expect him to be killed immediately yeah exactly you, know? you see brad pitt george although Clooney and... that would be great that'd be so great <laughs> if brad actually ray fines was in this movie briefly and he was killed really yeah quickly. exactly i was just gonna say so maybe that's kind of but yeah no i think it'd be funny if like if like you know um, if they put like somebody on the poster, right? And they and killed, they killed them, them immediately. immediately. There's definitely a few movies that have done yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and like have it be like Brad Pitt yeah. or something. 
I don't know, that actually seems like something that Brad Pitt would do. Absolutely, yeah, no, that does kind of track, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So maybe not Brad Pitt, like, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody, like... Yeah. Somebody who, like, you know, demands some, uh... Has some clout, Meryl you Street. know? Yeah, exactly. Imagine having Meryl Streep in your movie and killing her off immediately. That'd be great. Oh, God, I would love yeah. to, to, like... I think you would get a lot of, like, hate. Probably, but for doing I think that. the only way you could get away with it, though, is if you had, like, Meryl Streep playing, like, a murder victim. Kind of like uh, uh, Knives Out. Kind of like Christopher Plummer. Right, yeah, And there, exactly. like, maybe was a flashback here and there or something, and, like, it revolved around. Right, because, I mean, they, they, kill, they kill Christopher Plummer relatively early in that movie, but... Um, exactly. Also he's kind of in it the whole time exactly. as well. There's like flashbacks and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> what were we talking about? Jeffrey Dahmer, um, Hurt Locker. We're talking about why... Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Basically, my thinking is one of the reasons is because, like, you know, you expect that the star of the movie is not going to be killed immediately. Exactly. You see, yeah, George Clooney, it's much, Brad Pitt, it's, and... Uh, 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 I don't know, like a third guy who everybody knows, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. You know, which one? You can't... You expect all of them are going to make it or whatever. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, prior to, uh, 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 like, actually, like, you know, getting on to the set, you can imagine these, uh, you know, Hollywood actors. Set? What set? Well, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> getting on. Yeah, In front exactly. of the camera. Um, yeah. They needed to... Uh, 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 a camera in front of six or so cameras uh they, they needed to you know be it's a military movie so they needed to be you know well they needed, they wanted some realism and i really get that that is i mean they really yeah i mean catherine bigelow's whole thing especially in this movie like is realism in all her yeah. interviews she goes on and on about realism um yeah and you can and it's like i think also it's like you know it's kind of low-hanging fruit, honestly, to get accuracy with the U.S. military because oh, they're, they're desperate. You know, they're they're always very happy to be involved. They with want the they films. want positive representation in media as much as you can yeah. give it to them. I wouldn't necessarily yeah, say this. And is, so it, it seems like they were they were uh, they had significant involvement in this movie. Yeah, well, I don't know about significant, but it's like well, they were cooperative. They were cooperative. Least, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were cooperative um, because they they were uh, like all the actors who were in like the the American actors were um, like we're not talking about Top Gun or anything, but it's no, like, exactly. You know, they didn't like lease out like uh, fighter jets to the crew and turn around an aircraft carrier. But, yeah, it's uh, not. It know. was no Top Gun, but they were definitely cooperative. <laughs> but you know, yeah, because they they trained at Fort Irwin in uh in uh California in the Mojave Desert for, I think it was two weeks or a week or something like that. A little a brief amount of time in, in the military uh, uh, fort. Yeah. Taught them basically, you know, all the basic training yeah, stuff, I Yeah, just like how to hold uh, a weapon like a military person would, etc. Yeah. And then apparently, according to uh, the article I mentioned earlier, the DGA Quarterly, uh, apparently the actors... In Kuwait, they learned how to defuse bombs from explosive experts. Uh, they didn't go into any more detail into in that article. We'll talk about the explosive experts 
quite a bit more, so don't worry about that. Right, but it's like, yeah, I, 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 uh, I mean, I can't imagine that they like, you know, I wouldn't want Jeremy Renner in charge of defusing the yeah, bomb. That's yeah, yeah, and I think we, br- all, we touched like, upon you know, it last week as well. It's like I don't think that they want it to be totally accurate. <laughs> You know, no, exactly. They, they could film anyone. You don't want to show people how to make IEDs yeah. on, on, on yeah, film. Exactly. Um, I don't know how true that sentence about them learning how to defuse, to defuse bombs in Kuwait is from explosive efforts. But I'm sure they, I'm yeah. sure they, you know, met with some explosive effort, uh, experts in the military and were yeah. like, you know, talked about yeah. their jobs and stuff. So in terms of a, 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 a locations, apparently Morocco was a was a. A finalist, and they sent some scouts there, but but Bigelow was not satisfied with the architecture. So there's two stories about it. Well, there's two angles rather. Uh, one angle is it says that it seems that Bigelow wasn't satisfied with the architecture. She wanted it to be more realistic. She said it it wasn't enough like Baghdad. Yeah. Well, I think like definitely this was one point that she was really like uh, set on being authentic with. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, I think if she could have, she would have been shooting in back. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. There are obvious reasons why she couldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, so she wanted to be as accurate as possible. And uh, so I, I believe that angle, according to uh, according to the Jordan Times. So Jordan is where they ended up filming, which, if you know your geography, uh, borders directly on Iraq. Yeah, it's right. It's right in there. Um, so according to the Jordan Times, the Royal Film Commission of Jordan... Uh, they worked really hard to convince Bigelow and Bull to shoot there. So that's what that's what the Jordan Times said. We'll talk. They I I, I uh, reference them a little bit more later on. So we'll talk about that um, because their article was interesting, uh, an interesting perspective. Right. Ultimately, the f- the film was shot all over, all over Jordan. Do you wanna Do you wanna read where here? Okay. So the places that were were shot in include Amam, Widat, uh, Madaba. Saka, Marka, and Zarka. I think I got that right. Yeah, I think you got that right. So once they arrived in Jordan, I don't know specifically like where most of it was shot, but it just kind of seems like they were kind of all over the place. Um, so after they arrived, the special effects supervisor, this is a great story. Um, the special effects supervisor, a guy named uh, Richard Stutzman, and yeah, I see that his last name is almost Stuntman, which uh, which I did thoroughly enjoy as well when I read it. I thought it was. Is, is, is this special effects supervisor named Richard Stuntman? But no, it's Richard Yeah, that would Stutzman. be pretty sick, but yeah. Be no. Excellent. So apparently he spent t- the first two months trying to obtain the proper permits to use explosives. Um, so this is from FX Guide. Do you want to read this quote? It's kind of long, but it is worth it. It's great. Yeah, so according to uh, Stutzman, um, <laughs> there was no infrastructure there whatsoever for civilian use of explosives. In the U.S., we used them for mining and road building. We were within days of doing our first shots that had explosions in them, the sniper shots. Unfortunately, a few days earlier... Our Hollywood pyrotechnics had arrived. Um, it had taken two months for them to come in, but I had still not been able to obtain any black powder locally. So we went out on a mad scramble and bought Chinese fireworks. Civilians can buy up to two-inch aerial shells, so we bought every one we could find and cut them up and drained the black powder out of them. That's what we ended up using for the small ground hits for the sniper fire on the contractors out in the middle of the desert. Still... I was in an absolute panic, and we were running out quickly. 
Then I made enough noise and got word to the right people, including the royal family and the royal <laughs> film commission. Suddenly, the military had all sorts of black powder I could use. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. They were very. Because uh, 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 we mentioned the royal film commission already, they yeah. were very. Uh, uh, what's the word? I'm looking, intertwined well, with them. Yeah, well, I think uh, the, it was very much in the interest of the uh, the Jordanian, uh, you know, monarchy, at least, to uh, sort of promote filmmaking in the country, right? Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk about that again a, a little bit later, briefly, but yeah, definitely. Um, like, they, they definitely want, they definitely wanted more, like, crews and stuff to come in after this. They were hoping, I think, that this was uh, going to help them out. Exactly, yeah. So additionally, uh, uh, um, sim- in a similar vein to that story, uh, the weapons coordinator, David Fensel, apparently had to stay up all night after working a 12-hour shift um, because he had to make rounds for uh, the sniper rifle uh, because their their rounds hadn't cleared customs. Oh, so no. he had to like make some... So they had to improvise. Exactly, yeah. So it was kind of a shit show in some ways, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I should be a little bit reassured that it was difficult for them to get weapons than yeah. explosives. I think I think it is actually quite reassuring. But yeah, I think as we mentioned last week, there are some uh, uh, other issues, some more environmental issues uh, about filming in Jordan that uh, uh, we should address, I guess. The heat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously this happens anytime you film in, you know, somewhere hot, which, you know, is a lot of movies because, I don't know, for some reason I think deserts just look fucking great on film. Yeah, they're uh, vast, uh, uh, you know, open <laughs> landscape. Although you'd think there'd be more, if that's the reason, you'd think there'd be more prairie movies. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're just not as visually interesting. What are you trying to say about the prairies? Visual? What's more visually? How is a prairie less visually interesting than a desert? Well, in a desert, often it's, it's, it's dunes and shit. You know, like are you saying grass is lesser than dunes? I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess uh, you know, <laughs> um, Shanghai Noon was shot out in the prairies, although not on a prairie. Not on uh, a prairie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there are some <laughs> desert. Ish. There's some dunes. There's some dunes in Manitoba as well. Anyway, this is yeah. way off topic. Anyway, pretty much off topic, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about how hot it was in Jordan. Um, <laughs> Very. Um, I think, let me see, because I, I was looking a little while ago at like the hottest recorded temperatures in the world, and I think Jordan is like has some of them. Uh, we did it. Well, yeah, I'm sure they do. We did it on the show, didn't we? We looked We up did, yeah. For the first time we were talking about. I think that was for, uh, uh, what's it called? Okay, so the the hottest place on Earth ever is Death Valley, but... Death Valley, yeah, we knew that from Uh, Stargate. Yeah. Because I think... I think what they said was like 46 degrees regularly or something like that. Yeah, in, uh... Right. Yeah, sorry, I can't can't find it right now, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's incredibly hot there. You said 46 Celsius? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what nuts. they referenced in the in the article I was reading. But yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And like, just imagine wearing the bomb suit. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, from exactly. what I understand, that was a real bomb suit, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. There's um, 
a couple of scenes where there's definitely some inconsistencies in the suit, but generally it's a real bomb suit. Yeah. And I mean, I think this might have been part of his uh training, uh uh Jerry Renner's training, but as far as I know, um part of training to use the bomb suit is you have to learn how to run in the bomb suit. Oh right, cuz yeah, and, and like... this might have been part of what the explosives experts were teaching him in uh Kuwait, right? Could have been that, yeah, exactly. I wonder what like other than the weight, there's probably some sort of technique or else you'll yeah, like, exactly. fall and break your leg or something. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so fucking heavy. And one um, more thing I think that you need to learn is, like, if you need to be able to get up off your back while wearing the suit on. Right, because it's so heavy, you might you could turn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but, like, imagine, like, you fell over and then there's a bomb that's ticking away next to you, right? You have to get up, yeah. You Jesus really want to be able to, like, get up get and get off, out of there, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more. So, about the heat. I guess Mackie didn't have to wear the bomb suit ever, did he? No, it was only Runner. And, Renner. I mean, I don't know 100% if he was in it the whole time or if maybe, you know, there was a double. Because when he's wearing the suit, you can't tell. Yeah, yeah. So, except when there were the, the face shots, but yeah. Yeah. But about the heat... And filming in Jordan, uh, Mackie said, uh, it was so desperately hot and we were so easily agitated. Uh, I think we may have read this quote last week. Well, we, that... we, we referenced it, but we didn't actually read the quote. Right, right. So he said, it was so desperately hot and we were so easily agitated. But that movie was like doing a play. We really looked out for each other and it was a great experience. It made me believe in film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think them being so agitated really fits with the feel of the film, how it's kind of like, you know, you're on edge the whole time and because, you know, the actors are on edge the whole time as well. Yeah, exactly. And we like we heard earlier about the like, you know, the guy who'd working a 12 hour shift and had to stay up all night and then presumably work the next day because they were, you know. Yeah doing whatever exactly so but then there's a the, he kind of explains what he means by it made me believe in film and i just thought that was an interesting kind of second part of the quote um because it, it also talks it it, it it kind of references like this film in a way so the second part of the quote is do you want to read the second part yeah well i mean i was just saying because like this kind of gets into how we're saying like the uh how one of the results of kind of having casting unknown actors in these roles is like um you know everybody's kind of on the same page like everybody's kind of in the same situation so like uh as as mackie says he says in film there's this hierarchy you don't get to hang out with the number one guy on the call sheet and you don't get to hang out with the number 50 guy you're in your little tier and your group of people that's very isolating and very segregating good way of putting it so yeah like um i i think part of that why i guess that didn't happen on this movie is a like you know they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere away from civilization so like, yeah and they said there's like see, you, know, you there, know there were no like, trailers there were no you know nothing like that yeah and the other thing is because they didn't have like any like you know big star power or anything in this movie like you know everybody's kind of on the same level and stuff. yeah there's no one mm-hmm. to like there's no brad pitt i don't know why brad pitt is always the guy we we think of but well you know because we've talked about brad pitt quite a bit actually surprisingly on the show and also yeah, he's, he is yeah. kind of just the like the uh quintessential he's the number one guy on the color sheet. yeah he's the quintessential <laughs> yeah. number one guy on the color sheet 
Well, I mean, he's the Chad Palomino. Yeah, exactly. He is Chad Pal. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he is, but <laughs> yeah, he's he's got the star power of Chad Palomino. I don't know if he has the uh, same uh, irritating qualities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody everybody in Hollywood's got that to an extent. But <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> but yeah, back, anyway, what were you back to the uh, to the heat. And the uh, it just kind of like as this kind of theme, uh, Stutzman said the uh, 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 what was he the uh, supervisor special effects supervisor? Yeah, he was the guy with the the bullets and the explosives. Exactly, he said uh, everything we had was jerry rigged and shoot from the hip, and from available materials. The heat on certain days was almost unbearable, and I think that contributed to it. It was an experience. It was pure hell at the time. <laughs> but knowing what I know now, I definitely do it again. What do you think he knows now? So I mean, that's a Yeah, that's uninteresting uh takeaway. Yeah. Uh wait a second. Um cuz I'm just knowing uh <laughs> just wondering if he made that decision before or after all the Oscars. Well, that's what I'm trying that's what I was just going to say. It's like what does he know now? What is he referencing? Do you think does he know how? Does he know that it's successful? Yeah, like how successful the movie was going to be. I think that's what he's talking about. I'm just going to see if he was involved in any of the uh, the the awards. Uh, yeah, you should see. You should see if he was. No, it doesn't seem like effects uh, was nominated. Or we'll go into the Oscars uh, in detail at the end of the episode, but but yeah, it was uh, it was rough. Um, but it seems like Renner maybe had the roughest time of all. Oh, because of his food poisoning. Um, so he said, uh, I, I got food pugs, and then I got food poisoning, and I lost 15 pounds in three days. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. <laughs> That's horrifying. I'm just wondering, yeah. I mean, I'm, he probably also lost a huge amount of water weight just having to sit in the suit all, all yeah, the time. Yeah, just sweating, like, profusely out of this yeah. fucking... And not to mention the diarrhea. Yeah, just just tons of diarrhea. <laughs> Speak, I was just watching that scene from uh, uh, Indiana Jones. The one where he's has dysentery. Yeah, the one where he's like sweating profusely from all his dysentery. Um, yeah, but yeah. Where was that movie filmed? What was that in Morocco? I think it was. Where was I it think filmed? It was Tunisia. Tunisia. Oh, maybe it's Tunisia. 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 Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I I've heard Tunisia and Tunisia. Yeah, I'm before. not sure either. But anyway, I think I think that's where it was filmed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of them was filmed in Jordan, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, that was uh, Last Crusade. Yeah, I think it? it was Last Crusade. Because it was... Uh, it was the desert. What's it? Petra? Is is the place with all the rock Oh, carvings? yeah. Yeah, that's in Jordan. That That's... Yeah, that's definitely in Jordan. Um, anyway, uh, we're talking about Indiana Jones. Anyway, that's... Um, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about Indiana Jones all day. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it'll be fun. So yeah, after on top of you know losing fifteen pounds in three days, which is horrifying, in the heat, as we mentioned, he was wearing the bomb suit. The, the scene where he has to carry the child's corpse, dark scene. We talked about it last week. Right. He uh, he trips down a flight of stairs and uh, sprained his ankle. Ooh. Um, which is no good, and that halted the production for a whole week. Uh, which I think yeah. really like <laughs> fucked people up. Like I think people were almost done at this point. Yeah. At least that's what this quote from the Times uh, 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 makes it seem like. I think this is from the producer, 
Um, the way it was referenced made it seem like it was from Jeremy Renner, but I think it's from the producer. What, that uh, people wanted to quit, all the departments were struggling to get their jobs done, and none of them were communicating. Yeah, exactly. So it yeah. was pretty rough at, 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 at this point. So how did they pick it? Pick themselves up? Do you know? I think they just, you know, they just got it back together. Or they just waited it out until he got better. Yeah, yeah exactly. They just waited out. They, they. Uh, I think, I think it probably helped. Honestly, like. <laughs> oh, to just like let things simmer down for a yeah, bit. Yeah, like I, th- like maybe the tension was just like you know boiling over. Then you didn't yeah. get this happening and then they just get to kind of restart after i don't i don't really know i'm just speculating obviously but man i'm just wondering like has this movie not like been so critically slash commercially successful that like would it would these people all look back on it so positively? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like what was this fucking shit show we were doing why were we doing this here You're like what the fuck yeah it's like it i guess it must all seem worth it like afterwards but no, exactly like, like had it not been successful time, we must... would be here totally criticizing Catherine bigelow for being like why the fuck did she drag all these people out oh she wanted to make a realistic movie like jesus christ like what the fuck yeah but no yeah uh we mentioned the uh, royal film commission um but they Mm. did kind of have an interesting relationship with them beyond just like you know asking them for you know black powder shit yeah um and i don't really know like the extent of this relationship like i don't know why it or how it occurred but apparently they had like you know well as uh Catherine Bigelow said do you want to read her her quote here and then yeah so she said in every in every department even the ADs we had one or two trainees the end of our shoot took place during the the two weeks of Ramadan and that was wonderful you get to uh, you have a break at sunset because all of a sudden you look up and half your crew is gone but after the first day, I was able to anticipate that and work it into the shooting schedule. Yeah, so, like, point being, she had, like, her crew was, like, entirely, well, not entirely, but... Jordanian. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Tons of, tons of Jordanian people. Yeah, I mean, I assume, like, you know, they probably would have had to get involved with the Royal Film Commission just to, uh, you know, get that all set up and, you know acquire the requisite tax breaks and everything exactly yeah so yeah so we 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 discussed the the kind of the multi camera setup a lot last week but there was kind of a uh, a, a great quote from Catherine Bigelow about about this from the article uh from DGA quarterly I was reading reading so she says uh, everyone is in motion and it's a constantly moving instrument some actors need time to grow accustomed to the style, she concedes, but they soon adapt because the quad squad... What the fuck's the quad squad? <laughs> the quad squad allows them to truly stay in character without, quote, playing to the camera. I think by quad, squ- quad squad, she means four cameras. Ah, uh, yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I kind of alluded to that last week, but, like, it's, yeah, it's like, because if the, if the actor doesn't know what camera they're supposed to be acting to, like, they're going to act completely differently than if they're, like, you know. Yeah, there's one camera that's. Trying to, exactly, yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, you're probably going to get, like, a more, like, you know, full, like, uh, performance, because, I mean, like, for example, if you know, if you know only your face is in shot, you're going to act differently than if, like, you know, your whole body's in shot. Absolutely, you know what I mean? yeah, exactly. 
totally changes your whole yeah. dynamic. Exactly. So furthermore, like tons of the, I think we we briefly mentioned this last week, but um, tons of the local or uh, tons of the extras were locals uh, and Iraqi refugees who were also tons. Yeah. Of- uh, so I don't I don't think we actually went into that, but uh, yeah, it, it was inter- like uh, interesting, and I think that added to the authenticity of the uh, the, the the shoot. Yeah. I was actually trying to find out more about that kid who played uh, uh, Beckham yeah. in the film. And I couldn't actually find anything about the actor who did it. So I was wondering if he was a refugee. And then I was trying to find out if he'd done anything afterwards. And I couldn't find anything. But, like, uh, <laughs> I think he might be, like, a doctor in New Jersey now. What? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. There were a couple of people that had, like, the same name as so him. So we're, we're not 100% so he... sure, but potentially Beckham's now a doctor new in New Jersey. Yeah. That would be dope. <laughs> I'm not dope 100% and true. sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That is, yeah, I, he might be a, 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 a refugee, and it's possible he just, like, didn't do any acting after that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he had the one entry on IMDb, I think. Yeah, because one of the producers was saying, like, because, and it was very producery way to say it, he was trying to sell this movie. He was like, you know, uh, uh, um, so many of the people in this movie are Iraqi refugees, so, like, when you look into their eyes, you're looking into the eyes of people who have, like, experienced this. <laughs> Right, and it's yeah. like obviously that's a dumb thing to say, but it is true to an extent that it's like you people are. I mean, yeah, it is. I guess true. Yeah, it would be a weird experience to be an extra in a film portraying an experience about the thing that you just went through. You yeah, know you're what I mean? just fleeing from. I wonder. I mean, you're essentially. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of the extras, you know, they were just you know the people living in Baghdad or wherever they were, and it's like, you know. You're essentially just being yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a there. This is I'm coming back to the the Jordan Times here because um, it's a it's an interesting perspective. There's a great quote or a great excerpt from it here. So is the Jordan Times by any chance affiliated with the Jordanian royal family? I don't know, but independent English the... language daily published by the. Jordan Press Foundation, who also runs the Arabic uh, language daily. All right, um, blah, says blah, here blah. it's independent, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right? Yeah. No. That seems. That seems. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering if they were like you know, uh, pro, like very pro monarchy. Or yeah, something. I don't know. I really don't know what their what their stance <laughs> is, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to read this quote from from? Uh, an article from I think it was 2007 about yeah so uh, Madaba which is the place they were, one of the places they were filming yeah. in uh, uh, basically so a young Madaba resident was in awe as he watched scores of soldiers marched past earlier this month are they Israelis he asked where are the Israelis all I see are Americans declared an old man Yazid Abu Falat uh, a university student and an extra in the film overheard the conversation, walked over, tilted his sunglasses, peered down at the old man, and let out a sly smile. Sheik, I'm as Jordanian as mansaf, who, which is the most popular Jordanian dish of rice soaked in boiled lamb and yogurt soup. Um, something I'd like to try. Good. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, It's great. You feel like you're in Hollywood, he said of the experience. 
We lived like soldiers. We acted like soldiers. The past 44 days were like we're in the army. It's kind of interesting. So they, they, they just basically uh, hired a bunch of people and uh, put them in, in a, 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 you know, barracks and used them as extras. Yeah. So does that include the American soldiers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's funny. So they were also, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's one of the things that uh, um, the producer was laughing about as well. That it's like you have American soldiers played by Iraqi refugees. Yeah, that is funny. I mean, I didn't notice. <laughs> Nor did I. Finally for this uh, this segment... Just wanted a little bit of more about the Jordan Times, because as you were mentioning, you mean more from yeah, the more, Jordan Times, more from them, but and and about them a little bit. But uh, 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 as you kind of mentioned uh, earlier, I think it was kind of the the view that this film being shot in Jordan would like revitalize the the film industry uh, in Jordan. Yeah. So. Uh, there was. This is the last excerpt from them. If you want to read this, Bigelow compared Jordan to Rome's Cinecetta, an Italian studio made famous for hosting biblical slash Roman epics. According to her, Jordan can move away from being a great place to film Iraq War movies to simply being a great place to place to film any genre. This gives studios a lot of confidence to explore subjects that are meaningful to culture and the environment. The support is there. And that is the most important thing, she stressed. According to Bigelow, there are many intangible advantages to filming in Jordan. There's an Arabic sensibility that permeates every frame of the film, Bigelow noted. I've gained a tremendous respect and appreciation for the culture, she added. So, yeah. I mean... I think that this the way this is written makes me feel like it's like kind of a bit of a selective selective quotes it from really her. Felt <laughs> that, the article really felt like that the article really felt like they were selling it but <laughs> it's like yeah look at this big american director who's talking about how great yeah, jordan how great is, it is you know? to film in jordan and how everybody will come film in jordan yeah yeah the only other movie that i can think of that was shot primarily in jordan is actually lawrence of arabia Arabia. i was wondering if which actually was not shot entirely in jordan because i think jordan actually kicked them out (laughs) oh no at some point and they moved to do the rest in spain that's no good yeah i'm not exactly sure what the following out was about but (laughs) yeah Yeah, well (laughs) they didn't actually complete it there i was trying to find some uh so there is some history to to jordan well there's a lot of actually there's quite a few films shot in jordan prior to this i think the war kind of threw it off well i mean i think one of the reasons why like you know you would want to film in jordan uh is like if you want to film in the middle east but like you know i mean the truth is just that Jordan is kind of a more stable country than a lot of the others in the area. Yeah. And so I think that that's basically... Um, that's basically why, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking up uh, films afterwards shot in Jordan. The only three American ones I could find find were uh, Prometheus, uh, which was mm-hmm. 2012, I believe. Um, the okay. Martian... Oh, actually, that's that's an interesting use of Jordan. Yeah, I believe that one was 2014. I'm not 100% sure about that one. Right. 
And then uh, 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 Rogue One, the Star Wars story. Right. And we also mentioned that parts of Last Crusade were done in... Yeah, but that was that was prior. That was a while ago. That but was 86, is, I believe. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah, there's some... I mean, the thing is just like... I think Jordan is really good for shooting deserts. Yeah, it's fantastic <laughs> for it, apparently. You know? There's a lot of that in the country. Um, yeah, obviously, Martian, that's a bit creative, because I assume Jordan was used as a stand-in for, for Mars. Mars. <laughs> which is, yeah. Unless, they sh- unless that's know, where they shot the, the box. Uh, 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 NASA sequences. <laughs> Jordan. Yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. That might be an interesting movie to the do. The Martian? The Martian. Those yeah. are pretty good movies, I recall. I saw it, yeah. the first um, time I saw it was on a plane, and then I watched it another time, not on a plane. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'd get to put some some sick disco tunes on the soundboard. Are there tons? Is there tons of disco? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that aspect of the film. Anyway, yeah. um, so that sort of brings us to our 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 next segment here. Right. You know what kind of segment would that be? It well. It's one that, let's just say it's going to be quite explosive. Welcome to the truth, where we get to the bottom of things, find out about the truth. We won't bullshit you. No bullshit here. This is all real. <laughs> no bullshit. 100% true. Exactly. This is the segment where you, you, you have to have your sunglasses on. Oh, yeah. You put them on. You put, you put on the sunglasses yeah, if you're exactly. going to listen to this, this segment. You put them on. Exactly. Um, exactly. So this uh, this truth is going to be pretty... Uh, 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 it's pretty interesting. It's, our less, it's a less uh, crazy one than we normally do. <laughs> Okay. Is it pretty truthy, it's, though? It's true. Oh, it's, it's true. It's extremely okay. true. Not that anything we've ever talked about on this segment is untrue, but this one's... No, we only talk about yeah, true things. Yeah, as we mentioned. Uh, verified true things. Yeah, yeah. I'll pro- well, I don't know about verified, but true things are... Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the explosions in this movie because obviously that's... There are a few of them. There's a few of them, and it's kind of important to the uh, kind of important to the plot. Yeah. So this uh, this segment's coming from the website website FX Guide, which did a great interview with Richard Stutzman, who we already we already uh, quoted yeah. a few things from. But he goes into detail here about a lot of stuff in in the film so i thought we'd share some of the some of the stuff here um because it's really great so he was talking about how they got like the realistic type explosions so the question was how did you plan to get realistic type explosions onto the screen um and stutzman said those demonstrations were, of course, really helpful because he's talking about the demonstrations they did with the uh, the uh, 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 professionals. 
Okay. Of actual. So it seems like some of that training was more about training the FX it people. It seems than so, exactly. Um, <laughs> so he said, I got a fairly good feel for the look. And one of the things I did realize was that the only way to get the right look was to use the real thing, or at least use high-order explosives. These aren't actually used that much in film. They're generally way too fast, and the audience has just grown to believe that everything turns into these big orange gasoline fireballs. Yeah, so I, I, I this is something that comes up a lot, like... Um... Yeah, real explosions don't look like movie explosions. Yeah, and I think if, I think most people know like, this at this point, you know. Yeah, like I mean, if you've seen enough Mythbusters, you probably know exactly. that. Exactly. Um, you know, it's like uh, gasoline is the thing that makes everything turn into a fireball, which is like not how explosions usually work. Yeah, there's not usually, uh, uh, you know, as he puts it, um, a hundred gallon gasoline explosion. Yeah. So what did they use, or or did he not want to get? too into that as not to inspire anyone well so it says here so the question is exactly what kind of explosives explosives did you use for the major shots because as we know he used the uh the chinese explosives <laughs> well for the that was mostly for like the gunshots yeah, for right the little for the, the little, black powder for blasts stuff, yeah for, so for the major shots yeah. um he says I ended up finding high-order explosives to use for the bigger shots from a manufacturer in Jordan with the supervision of the military and their bomb squad. It gave... Okay, yeah. You're not just allowed to have that shit. It gave the real thing. You can see the concussion wave coming off these explosions. It made the car jump and all the dust come up off the car. Yeah, that's all the stuff that was in... Slow exactly. Motion. That's what we were talking about last week, which I think that's awesome. That's yeah. like that's actually it's because yeah. it was a that's a real explosion we're watching. That's not like Yeah. I mean not that movie explosions are fake, but they're just not like you they're know not designed. they're not the kind of explosions that you would use in a bomb. Yeah. You know I mean? I, and I just think it's super interesting that it's like it's a different type of explosion and they used the te- like a filming technique as you described last week to like yeah. show it being almost more powerful yeah. than Exactly. Than like a, a, a I mean, movie explosion. Yeah, if you look at all the explosions in this movie, there's like a lot of dust and rubble, but you don't really see that much flame. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? So he goes on to say, uh, um, that was all shot with a high-speed camera, but it's our explosion that makes it happen. One of the striking things about a high-order explosion is that it hits you in the chest long before you hear it in your ears. The shock wave comes before the yeah. sound. It's an interesting phenomenon. So yeah, and I think a lot of people again probably know that about explosions how the 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 shock wave kind of yeah. precedes the everything, you know. And you can kind of see that in the movie cuz like, you know, when I think they do this pretty realistically is like, you know, uh when cuz a couple of times like the guy in the bomb suit gets hit with the explosion, but you don't actually see like the the visual explosion touch him. He just gets knocked over by the force wave, you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly the shockwave and then um yeah he gets a concussion or whatever yeah exactly the, uh, the, the couple more questions here we'll go through uh this question is how did you detonate the explosions um Stutzman mm. said i've learned from past experience if you try to mix high order with black powder explosions well high order is technically a detonation and black powder is a deflagration what is that word deflagration deflagration 
It's a high-speed burn versus a solid phase change from solid to gas. If you're not careful putting them together, the detonation is so much faster than the black powder burning that it will snuff it out or burn the black powder before it gets the chance to properly show up. I used higher explosives to whip all the dust in the air. They were all backlit by a gasoline pipe explosion. That's what I noticed on the real thing. What fire you could see seemed to be in the center of the explosion, and all the debris and dust comes out in front of the fireball. So that's... So some pretty technical details on that, like, um, interesting. Like, I find uh, that so cool, like, just that he's, like, he's trying yeah. to recreate. He's analyzed, like, the explosion that, you know, these IEDs create, and he's trying to, like, duplicate it with, uh, you know, his film techniques. Exactly. I, I just find that so cool. It's yeah. such an interesting kind of, like, art form, you know, that you don't really think about. Yeah, it's, like... It's yeah, you don't really think about it, and it's like you know, sculpting an explosion. This is such a specific thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. He's like his. It's this like, guy's yeah. so cool. His medium is explosions. <laughs> exactly, he's an explosion yeah, artist. That's so yeah, so cool. Um, and it's like yeah, no, it definitely like the explosions in this movie look completely different from any other. Absolutely, movie. yeah. Probably not any other movie, but no, but I mean, for most other movies, from yeah. like you know the Michael Bay type movie. I think most movies, exactly. I like I don't know. Uh, in terms of like you know like war movies like who did it first or whatever but i think generally yeah. they all they 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 uh, try to be a bit more exactly accurate. they've like at a certain point they started trying to make it seem realistic especially yeah, the ones that were exactly. going for realistic vibe um so the final yeah. question here is uh what other kind of special effects work were you responsible for and then he just does a bunch of great stuff. He says, we did other things like the American sniper rifle hits on the brick house, which he said, um, we did the big fire tanker aftermath, which was a real pain in the neck. We usually use propane here in the States, but it's not available over there. They have a dirty butane that doesn't have the same color in it as propane. We worked on camera mounts for cars. We had to make our own smoke machine to put smoke in the streets. Like they were fucking busy. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Wow. Then there was car. This is great. Um, then there was cars blowing up at the UN. Actually, for that shot, they had picked the car they wanted. And then at a production meeting, someone thought that when the sniper fire hits the gas tank, you should see the fuel cylinder fly open and have fire fly out of it. I'm just mumbling under my breath, saying "Shut up," because I knew <laughs> how hard that would be. <laughs> <laughs> the car ended up having its fuel neck on the wrong side of the car, so we worked all weekend cutting up the fuel cylinder, moving oh, no. the door over. Just because the car they picked, the car they picked was, yeah, not correct. Yeah, for that, jeez. This last sentence is just so hilarious how nonchalant he is about it, though. He just says, "Yeah, cutting up the fuel cylinder, moving the door over, and patching up the old hole, putting in a mortar, and rigging up the car." <laughs> yeah right so do you know if there were were there any incidents with all these explosives going around he doesn't many mention or was it it generally pretty pretty safe seems like it was pretty safe other than uh okay. uh, uh jeremy renner spraining his ankle as far as i read there weren't any yeah. incidents involving the explosions okay well that's yeah good. that's very good um and that's yeah. how you know you're working with professionals, I guess. Exactly. 
Yeah. Oh, he was also talking about. It's an interesting, fascinating interview. You should read it in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was talking about how, like, uh, part of his team was a bunch of German guys, and they really kind of saved his ass because it was so much easier <laughs> to import the German equipment from Germany than it was for him to get all his equipment from the states. So they ended up using all of. The- yeah, I'm pretty sure the U.S. doesn't want like just you know random you know explosive ordnance and shit going into <laughs> places in the Middle Precisely. East. Okay, that that that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Like the explosions were like a high point of this. Exactly. Movie. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie about bombs. Yeah. It's like you gotta get the explosions right. You have right, to do you know it right? right, and they 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 did it right. So for the second part of the truth, we alluded to it last week. Um, we're gonna go over some of the fucking goofs. <laughs> the goofs. Because oh, there's no. a lot of them. I'm sure there's like a million. Um, yeah. So let's just go through it here, um, and we can trade off. And then yeah. there's one in particular. We don't have to go through all of them, um, but we'll go through some of them. And then there was one in particular that I thought was funny. So we'll talk about that one. Yeah. So uh, you want you can start it start us off. Okay. There were a ton that were just about like the year that this movie came yeah. out. <laughs> you know, the year the movie was set. Like, um, uh, whatchamacallit, like, uh, for example, they're playing Xbox 360, uh, in one of the times on the base, and they're playing Gears of War, uh, and this movie was set in 2004, yet the Xbox came out in 2005, and Gears of War didn't come out until 2006. (laughs) Come on. That's a huge one to me. I think that's pretty... That's, that's easy to check, Yeah, like, come on. So then, I don't know if we mentioned. Did we mention the YouTube one last week? But um, the the oh, I don't know if we did it on air. But uh, yeah. So another thing was that they talk about the guy with the camera. He's like, they're like, oh, maybe he's gonna put this shit on YouTube. But YouTube was still a year out from basically. Being yeah, created. exactly. Two thousand four. <laughs> YouTube didn't exist. Two thousand five. In this one, is uh. In the movie, all the soldiers are wearing the digital ACU uh, army combat uniform. Uh, while the opening scene takes place in Baghdad in 2004, the first units to be issued, the ACU, did not receive them until February of 2005. Um, the correct uniform for the time period would have been the three-color DCU desert combat uniform. So fucking unforgivable they are unforgivable if the further down the list you go like into the military stuff the more unforgivable it, it, it gets another thing was about the the music like all the friggin uh heavy metal uh tunes like uh three songs played uh played in this movie were by a band called ministry uh and they were all from the album rio grande blood which didn't come out until 2006 yeah and that I fault them less for that one because it's music, you know. Music is no, no, but it's in. It's it's not just background music. It's music that they are listening to. Oh, in the movie. oh, oh, that's totally different. No, like Jeremy Renner has it on his on his. Oh stereo, yeah, that's no his, good uh, on the bass. Yeah, that's unacceptable. Yeah, that's exactly. indefensible. It's just like in Moneyball, that song exactly. at the end. Exactly. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> oh, that was just the one thing. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Yeah. There's also tons of uh, uh, like military stuff. About their uniforms and how their their ranks are laid out and stuff. Oh, like uh, for example, uh, Sergeant Sanborn has a combat infantryman's badge along with a parachutist's badge. 
possession of a CIB would be highly unlikely due to the fact that um, EOF and OIF had just begun and his tenure in the armed forces are probably is probably no more than 10 years. Aside from the small-scale special operations skirmishes, the last combat theater where one would likely receive this award would have been in the early 90s. It's almost impossible that he would have served as an infantryman in OIF and, re- and reclassed to the time-consuming uh, MOS of an EOD technician under two years. Also, he wears the parachutist badge above the CIB. The CIB is worn above the parachutist badge. Jesus Christ, Sanborn. That's like, that's a lot of shit. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Actually, uh, I'm going to bring up Stargate SG-1 again, because that's a TV show where uh, basically the U.S. Air Force had like a lot of involvement. Yeah. And I've been listening to some of the actors talk about like, you know, working on that show. And they were like, yeah, no, no. We had our uniforms inspected every time before we went, before we went on camera. Jesus Christ. Of course they did. My God. <laughs> like, yeah, they clearly didn't have... That's what I mean. I don't think they had that in this movie. Like, you need to have a guy on set being like, you know, that... To, like, inspect the uniform before they go on. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to get their exactly, shit correct. It's just like, there's so many little yeah, exactly. things. Like, for example, the uh, fucking uh, thing about the flags... Like LTC Cambridge wears two U.S. flags on his uh, on his ACUs. The flag is only worn. So ACU ACU is what again? The Army Combat yeah, Uniform. Yeah, that's his incorrect combat yes. uniform for the era. So on his incorrect right. issued uh, combat uniform, um, he says th- he's wearing it on both both of his uh, uh, shoulders, but the flag is only worn on the right shoulder. The spot on the left shoulder where he wears the extra flag is reserved for the special skills tabs. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I think they also did the thing. I think they also put the the flags backwards because, you know, how you're supposed to on the military uniform, you have, like, it's supposed to be with the flags, like, flowing in the wind or whatever. So you put it, like, it technically, like, appears backwards. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah. It kind of makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, it does make sense, but it's, like, it's not a detail that I would think of. I know, know it's such a silly detail. You you have to have a guy that just knows that shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Um, Another thing is... uh, The last name of the specialist in in the EOD team is Eldridge, according to his uniform. Yeah. But in several sequences, the name Eldritch is clearly visible, stitched into the elastic band around his helmet. How does this happen? Just like miscommunication. That, 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 that's not an army thing. That's just a prop fuck yeah, up. Yeah, that's like a pretty significant prop fuck up. I mean, I guess it's not. Well, but... I, I bet you what happened is like it was never written down. Right. And probably these props were made by like two different yeah. people. And one of them wrote Eldritch, and one of them wrote Eldridge. Yeah. Because it was probably like, yeah, yeah, it says Eldridge or whatever, right? And they're like, somebody probably heard it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I never noticed that, but that's a thing. I didn't notice it either. So it's good on whoever noticed that. Um, so moving yeah. on to some of the uh, uh, um, the factual errors. Um, right. Because then we can... We'll, we'll, do a few more few of those and then we'll we'll close it off but so oh this is an interesting one i never thought about this which, which one yeah so this is really interesting so you know in the first scene of this movie where the guy blows up the bomb on yeah. the cell phone apparently that's completely unrealistic because every anti-bomb team 
carries a small device which, when turned on, suppresses all cellular transmissions within several hundred meters of the device. Hmm. So that couldn't have happened unless they didn't have their device on for whatever reason. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like that should be but that's step probably one is protocol, turn it right? on. Yeah, it's like turn the device, like you're going to defuse bomb, turn this thing on before you approach it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, they had like a cell jammer. So there you go. Um, another factual error. Uh, Jeremy Renner is credited as Staff Sergeant William James, an E6. However, his character wears the rank of an E7 Sergeant First Class, which is different, obviously. Okay, that that one I feel like is, is less forgivable. Yeah, they just gave him the wrong fucking rank. They gave him the wrong rank. Like the wrong... Uh, chevron insignia and shit yeah that's that's pretty rough man i don't know somebody clearly wasn't doing their job yeah they they have a lot of these don't they yeah like was there no like army consultant on set it seems like it like here's another one when eldridge observes eldridge they spelled it eldridge here well it's eldridge his name in the movie is eldridge um when but it says Eldritch on his helmet right. sometimes. So when Eldridge observes the goats on the bridge, uh, his aim point comp M2 is shown with zoom capabilities. The real aim point comp M2 is a red dot sight that has no magnification. God damn it. Do your fucking like, research. Come on. Come on. Okay. So here's the last one. Yeah. So when James pulls his side arm on the cab driver, the pistol he holds is not the military issue M9 or civilian Beretta 92F, but a much older Beretta 92 model that has never been issued by the U.S. military. <laughs> oh. It looks like it's an old model 92 with a round trigger guard, frame-mounted safety, and a deep blue finish. Um... <laughs> this person just goes on to describe it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's pretty strange, don't you think? It is pretty strange. Pretty uh, pretty weird. I mean, I imagine it's just like they were like, okay, he needs a pistol. Let's check the prop yeah, like, guns. What we do have. we have? And they grabbed that Give one. The first one they found. <laughs> or maybe they were like, oh yeah, Beretta ninety two. I know Beretta ninety two, but they were thinking ninety two F. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> point being, they got it wrong. And also, funny thing, I, I also saw somewhere in here, I, I can't see it now, but in, they were talking about the, uh, uh, like, shooting the the, the windshield um, and how yeah. it breaks. And they were like, oh, it wouldn't have been tempered glass because you know how windshields aren't, how windshields work. Like, they break into, yeah. whatchamacallit, I forget. They shatter into, like, a million pieces. Yeah, but... Interestingly, uh, uh, Richard Stutzman has a quote about that. Um, oh, what did he, he say? He said, there was also a funny story with a windshield in the scene where the taxi driver pulls up to Jeremy and he pulls his gun out. Eventually, the windshield is shot. Well, in most of the world, windshields have a safety laminated glass, which has two layers of glass with clear urethane plastic in between for safety. So normally, bullet hits give you the spider web look with the hole and the glass kind of spidering out from that. So I told Catherine that's the look we're going to get, and she was all set for two bullet hits. 
my partner Blair is behind Jeremy with a marble gun. And when he shot the first marble, we realized the windshield wasn't safety laminated at all. It was just tempered glass. Because the entire windshield popcorned and fell out of the car, he never got off the second shot. We were all just stunned. And sure enough, all the spare windshields I had were tempered glass. Oh, I see. So I guess yeah. they just don't they just <laughs> use tempered glass in Jordan and they weren't expecting it. Yeah, I guess. All right. Yeah. Probably. So this is another. Yeah. Probably a little bit startling what for the saying? guy in the car the first time. Yeah. It's like, was there no way they could have verified that before they shot yeah, it? Yeah, you think they would have tested <laughs> that maybe. You think maybe it would say on it, like tempered glass. Because yeah. <laughs> it says when it's not. Yeah. Uh, is it near the end of the film? Two CH-47 Chinook helicopters oh, are seen yeah. transporting soldiers to Iraq. In reality, Chinooks are operated exclusively by the U.S. Army. Yet here they are, shown bearing U.S. Marine Corps markings and color scheme. Unacceptable. Unforgivable. Unacceptable. Really unacceptable <laughs> stuff from, uh, from yeah. this Yeah, I, I mean, I can only imagine, you know... Uh, you know, uh, if we get to doing uh, fucking, uh, what's the submarine movie? Oh, her her submarine movie. K nineteen, the Widowmaker. I can only imagine how inaccurate that movie's gonna be about submarines. Oh my God. You know what I mean? I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> and you know, the IMDb yeah. list is gonna be so long too, because people love to uh, point exactly. out inaccuracies. Yeah, inaccuracies. Yeah. Anyway, that was great. Uh, I love. Uh, all those little technical yeah, details. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm surprised there, there was enough movie for them to get that many things wrong. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. There's like if enough different things that it's like it actually was opportunity for it to happen. Oh, okay. Here's one okay. more thing. Last one. Okay. So when James is back grocery shopping. Yeah. It has been established that there are Canadian exclusive products revealing the filming location. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Hilarious. Further inspection reveals several of the products to be co-op gold products, which are exclusive to co-op grocery stores, most visible on green and red cereal bar boxes. However, co-op does not have a store in Vancouver, and no other Canadian city is mentioned in the credits. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about I don't that. Know. I don't know how that, how how that, that happened. worked out. How that happened. How they yeah. let that happen. That's a mystery. No, no, because it's like, if there's no... They filmed it in Van, they filmed that part in Vancouver. Oh, right. So it's clearly not a real store. So it's like, where did they get... Maybe someone was just, like, nearby and, like, shipped in a bunch of shit. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. I don't know, fucking clue. Um... That might be a truth. <laughs> that might have been a good... Where was this movie secretly filmed that they didn't say? Was it on the moon? Did Stanley Kubrick direct this film? <laughs> Did Stanley Kubrick film this movie on the moon? Um, so, now let's talk about... What are we well, talking about? I was just, gonna, just for our final little last segment here, I was just going to talk about... Because obviously this movie won a billion of awards. I thought we'd just address how successful this movie was. <laughs> Yeah, incredibly so. Yeah. Like, it, it, I think everybody involved in this movie kind of has, like, a, a career renaissance. Yeah, you know, right? absolutely. 
<laughs> so should we just go through them if like you know if people weren't paying attention uh during the 2010 academy yeah Awards? well that's also an interesting detail <laughs> that it it because of what because it, it actually premiered in 2008 um yeah which is it, interesting but it didn't premiere in the united states or it wasn't didn't get picked up for distribution in the united states until 2009 so therefore it premiered yeah. it, it was part of the 2010 oscars which is yeah, which is a little strange, but, but you know, it, it is, is what it is. is. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So sh- should we go through some of the uh, awards that was won and nominated in these Oscars? Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Uh. So let's let's first let's start with you know the the nominations the uh, honorable mentions. Yeah. You know, uh, best performance by an actor in a leading role. <laughs> For Jeremy Renner nomination, what do you think? Do you think he won? Uh, I know that he didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he did. What would you have done if he had won an Oscar for that? I would have given two Oscars to um, Catherine Bigelow. Well, more than two because she already has two for this movie. <laughs> do you know? Do you remember who won that year? Oh, uh, God, no, I don't. What year was this? Uh, who else was at the... What else is the 20th? Okay, here we go. Uh, best performance. Oh, it was Jeff yeah, Bridges. Crazy Heart. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, I, I think Jeremy Renner was... It looks like Jeremy Renner was just kind of like, you know, honorable mention here. Yeah, well... It, it, I don't think he really no, had No, I don't think chance. so. He was not going not gonna to win. Also, just incidentally, you know yeah. who was nominated for supporting actor that year? Uh, you gonna say Meryl Streep because we were talking about Meryl no, Streep? No, but someone else <laughs> killing Meryl Streep. Someone we talked about it all the time, though. Oh, supporting yeah. actor. Sorry, I I I thought I was looking at uh, actress in a leading role. Why the fuck was I doing that? I don't know. Um, Christopher Christopher Plummer. Plummer yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, you have Jeremy Renner nominated. Who else was nominated? Uh, George Clooney. No, no, no. I meant from. Oh, oh, in, in this, this movie. movie. I thought you meant who else was nominated that no, year. No, no, no. Well, that's not a rabbit hole we can go down. Okay. Uh, uh, best achievement in cinematography. So, yeah. So, Barry Aykroyd was nominated. Didn't win, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Who who got who got this? Cinematography that year. Oh, it was Avatar. Ugh. Yeah, it was, it was actually interesting that this movie went up against Avatar. Yeah, well, there was a whole drama because <laughs> they were married briefly, yeah. weren't they? Her yeah. James Cameron. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was very briefly married to James Cameron. Briefly, I assume, because James Cameron seems like a he dick. He seems like a fucking dick, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, Barry Aykroyd, uh, nominated, unfortunately did not win. Best Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures Original Score by uh, Mario Marco Beltrami and Buck Sanders. Sick. Unfortunately, they did not win either. However, they did win all one, two, three, four, five, six of their other Oscars. Yeah. And that includes... So, uh, um... They cleaned up the sound ones. They got both editing and mixing. Yeah. They got film editing uh, by previously mentioned Bob Murawski and Chris Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Fantastic job doing this movie. Best writing, original screenplay, Mark Bull, and uh, best achievement in directing, uh, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, and then finally, best picture. Yes, the, the big one. The, the one that uh, everybody everybody wants. 
Best motion picture of the year. Catherine Bigelow, Mark Bull, Nicholas Chartier, and Greg Shapiro. So yeah, there you go. They 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 won their Academy Awards. Uh, so now we can finally get into our final thoughts where we can discuss... The only award that matters, the Cranky Commentary Awards for uh, cinema, <laughs> for cinematic achievement. The final thoughts, we can kind of discuss whether or not we uh, think they deserved all those Oscars or not. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I th- I think they did. Like, if you go up against the movies that they were up against, I think that, you know, they were probably the best option there. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts? Give me some more final, give me some final okay. thoughts. Okay, um, I don't know. Uh, I liked this movie a lot. Uh, I, I thought it was really well done, and it kind of, I mean... <laughs> It's kind of funny, like, going through all those, like, inconsistencies and shit that we talked about, because it's like, none of that is noticeable at all. No, none of it really reads in the final picture. Yeah, and it's like, um, no, I thought that uh, everything was pretty much done done really well, and I think this is a, a, a well-done movie that's deserving of a great deal of its uh, acclaim. Yeah. Let's hear what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Because I think you had a slightly different uh, take it's on it. It's fine. It's interesting. I think yeah. it's more interesting than it is good. Which right. is like, it's like it's it was fine. It's fun to watch, and you know, it's definitely for for it, yeah. for a war movie. You know, they're very uh, time and placey. I think for especially for certain people. Some yeah. people are no, it's anytime, yeah. but um. No, I'm not going to just, like, throw this on. Yeah, no. no. It was definitely... But, I mean, you know, I think I think some of the best movies are, are kind of like yeah. that, you know what and I mean? Yeah, and I mean, like, it, it, it achieved what it set out to do quite well. So, in that sense, yeah. it was a very good movie. I didn't... Th- I don't know that it was, like, you know, legendarily good or anything, but, yeah. you know, it was, it was good. It was well put together. Like, yeah. Every no, kind of like, aspect was done well or at least well enough yeah no like i mean i think uh my reaction to this movie like because i think i remember this movie being just okay yeah but then when i rewatched it i think it, i i think it really uh it presented a lot better to me i think yeah d- me too it definitely improved it, it after a rewatch i think i definitely didn't really enjoy yeah. it the first time i watched it yeah but that was years ago yeah but yeah i know uh, who knows, man? But yeah, no, uh, I don't know. I thought it was excellent, and you think it was there good? You go. Yeah. So that's that's fine. So there we go. That's uh, <laughs> that's the Hurt Locker. Uh, that's the Hurt Locker two. Uh, that's uh, basically all we have to two. say about that. Um, <laughs> all right, there, Gump. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, private Gump. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's the. No, we'll never do no, that. Movie. Well, I don't know. Imagine Gump. <laughs> we, we imagine might. Private Gump in Iraq. <laughs> Plot uh, ordinance uh, disposal unit. Maybe there's gonna be like a remake of 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 uh, Forrest Not Gump in Tom Hanks's lifetime. No, no, but I mean, it's gonna be set like you know, fifty years after like Forrest oh, Gump. Maybe. Is. Yeah, I could see that happening. So Forrest Gump is gonna, so it like it's gonna start in like the eighties and nineties. Yeah, right. Yeah, you yeah. I, I mean? see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Gump, <laughs> Forrest Gump. <laughs> or maybe it's about his kid. Yeah, could be. 
Maybe Forrest Gump Jr. goes to Iraq. <laughs> Forrest Gump Jr. disposing bombs in Iraq. What was I? I was doing something. I was going to check something that has nothing to do with Forrest It's Gump. probably to do with our shoutouts. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'd like to uh, thank all our listeners in Italy. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Grazie. Mamma um, mia. That's one spicy <laughs> podcast. All right. Uh, Grain kick. Jesus Christ, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to come back. Ah, oh, they will. They'll love that.